What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, joined as always by my co-host Curtis. Uh, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Glory under, underscore UGA if you are so inclined. Uh, and you can also contact us via email if you're a little more old school, which is always cool. And that's GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the show in a couple of, of different places. Including, of course, Star Sports Radio. I know a lot of you are listening right now, but you can also check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, all those different podcasting platforms. So if that makes it a little easier for you, check us out there. Also, real quick, before we get too far into today's show, I want to take a quick second uh, for a little mea culpa. Uh, on Tuesday's show, dude, it sounded wrong when I said it off the tongue, and I wasn't completely confident. But Kurt, you actually. Made me a little more confident in saying it, uh, but it was completely wrong. And my wife was, of course, kind of to point this out. We were talking about uh, Rome, Georgia, where the state track meets were held last weekend. And I said, it was down there somewhere, probably south of us here in Athens. Yeah, completely wrong. Uh, Rome is in northwestish Georgia. So, yeah, just a little bit of evidence there for all you guys to see of my uh, geographical ignorance at times. So yeah, completely my bad. Didn't mean to offend anyone out there if you are from that Rome area. Just never actually been through there myself, so didn't really have much of a frame of reference to draw on. Just kind of assumed it. It sounded like it was somewhere down South Georgia. Obviously, that was idiotic of me. So yeah, just want to quickly throw that correction out there. And now you guys have an inside look at just one of the many reasons why when my wife and I go on vacation and travel around the states going to different games... While she's the one that is driving and I'm the one just sitting back chilling because I have no idea where I'm going. But let's go ahead and move into today's show, Kurt. I don't want to spend too much time going over stuff that doesn't matter. So let's get started. Um, And Really, I guess I want to start here. As far as I'm concerned, we are officially in the dog days of summer. We kind of, you know, the hard news and the the football, spring practice is over, events are kind of drying up. You know, there's going to be... A few talking points here and there on the recruiting front, you know, over the summer occasionally. But really, the only kind of news you get this time of year outside of recruiting is bad news, right? I mean, yeah, not, usually. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's injuries or arrest. So hopefully, we don't hear any of that this year. That'd be awesome. You know, the Sony stuff last year, man, that my heart kind of just sunk when I heard that news. So hopefully, we don't get anything like that. But um. What that also means is that there's there's less news items for us to cover on the podcast. Uh, but that's cool. That doesn't mean we're going to stop talking ball. It's what we do, and we're going to keep doing that throughout the summer. What it means is we're just going to have to get a, maybe a little bit more creative in how we go about doing it. We have a number of different series coming up this summer that we're going to feature, uh, including a Scouting the Enemy series, where we're going to go in-depth previewing each opponent on the schedule. Um, I've already kind of started the uh, film prep on that, so that will be coming your way I think once we hit June, we'll start rolling that out. Uh, and so we got that. We got a couple other other series as well. But today, what we're going to do, we're going to introduce a new feature called "Take Your Pick," um, which is going to allow us to kind of cover a range of different topics in a uniqueish type way. It's pretty simple. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw a question at Curtis, a pretty basic question, give him a couple of options, and he's just going to take his pick. So, Kurt, can you handle that? Oh yeah. Yeah, you got this. You got this. All right. So we got we got a couple of them here. Let's go ahead and get into this. I don't want to waste too much time. Uh, number one, this is a question. You know, I, I get asked this every now and then. Like, who do I think was the better running back? But I want to go ahead and ask you. Uh, would you say that we're running back? You? You hear that from time to time that Georgia's running back? You? Would you give us that that title? 
think we have consistently put out some great running backs um, for a consistent yeah, basis. Yeah. Like some programs had a good couple of years, but that was it. Where we've done it on a more consistent basis. Yeah, we've, we, you know, we, we've had a few years where it wasn't as great as it has been in, in certain other years. Uh, but you can go back to like you got, you got Herschel, you got Garrison Hurst, you got a ton of guys, and of course you Terrell got the, Davis. Who's that? Terrell Davis. Oh, Terrell, Terrell Davis. Davis. Well, he wasn't as big of a name in in college. Kind of exploded the yeah, NFL, but, but yeah, but still, still a name. But still a name. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there's a bunch of other guys too. But I want to focus on the 21st century running backs, the 2000 later guys. So we've had a, I mean, you've, we've had a quite a few good guys, but we have three that stood out here: and Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, and Noshawn Moreno. Is that about right? The three guys in the 21st Probably, century. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've had some. You know, Thomas Brown. I really liked what he brought to the table. You had Craig Lumpkin in the early 2000s. We've had some guys, but I think and Sony's no slouch either. Uh, and you know, and Keith Marshall had his moments, but if you're looking at 21st century Georgia running backs, I think you've got the three-headed monster of Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, and Noshawn Moreno. So my first question here for you, it's pretty simple: Who's the better? Who's the best 21st century Georgia running back? Is it Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, or Noshawn Moreno? I think it's easy. I think it's uh, Todd Gurley. I mean, you saw what he did as a true freshman, very first carry, uh, very first t- gosh, time touching the ball, takes it to kick off all the way to the house. Um, he just changed the game in so many aspects. I mean, he led us to the SEC Championship almost to a victory in that game as a freshman. Almost, I don't want to say single-handedly, but, dude, he almost willed us to that victory. It, if it wasn't for, you know, just basically getting worn down, not him, but the team, the defense, in particular the defensive line getting worn down, we could have won that game. God, that might have been my worst experience ever. Uh, dude, that mm, end of that game. Whew, hard to bring that one back up. But you're right. Uh, and, and the thing about Gurley, too, is did you really expect that from him coming out of high school? No, because, I mean, me personally, I did because I watched a lot of his high school tape, especially after his he senior year. He was way year, so underrated. I was, yeah, I, my jaw dropped at that senior yeah. tape, how good he was. But, yeah. um, you know, all you heard about coming into the season was Keith Marshall. Yeah, I mean, he was um, the big but, five-star name. Yeah, exactly. You know, I thought that Gurley was going to be good, but no one was giving him his due credit. And he finally he comes in there, and he kind of shows everyone, you know, what he's really about. And um, you're right, it really came out of nowhere. I mean, no, Sean, he did, it was technically his freshman year, but he had had the redshirt year where people were hearing about stuff he was doing. Right. Yeah, you, it's, it's it's the old story. You know, you hear about some guy tearing it up uh, on the scout team at, during practices, and it's like, okay, why did you redshirt this guy if he's tearing it up on the scout team, if he's giving your offense headaches? Uh, and then and then he kind of lived up to it once he got on the field and got to kind of shine there and take over on, in the primetime setting. Um, but, for yeah, I'm with you with Gurley. I I don't want to – well, I'll say this. I didn't I, – in no way did I expect Todd Gurley to be as good as Todd Gurley turned out to be. But I will say I'm kind of with you. Based on that senior film, I was maybe a little bit higher on him than others were. I still thought Marshall would probably be the, the, the feature back and Gurley be a guy that would come in there in, in, in some spot duty. But it would be a good back for us. Uh, but I did not see Todd Gurley being what Todd Gurley became. But, but I'll stand by this. Todd Gurley, and I've said this a couple times before, but I'll say it again. Todd Gurley, when he was healthy and at his best, was the most impressive player I have ever seen play. And I'm not talking about just in a Georgia uniform, the red and black. I'm talking ever. And I'm, I'm a youngish guy in my early 30s, so I haven't seen. I never saw Herschel play live in college. I saw him in the NFL when I was young. Um, but I didn't see him in, in his prime. But in terms of seeing guys in their prime in college, I think Todd Gurley was the most impressive player I've ever seen play. AJ I agree. Green I was think close. about it. Last year when we had Alabama at home, you know, you have Derrick Henry, the Heisman winner for that year. 
you know, he had a good game, but he didn't jump off the field. Like, with things Gurley did, I mean, the the, the size, the speed, yeah. the way he could jump over people. I mean, it's it just was that just blend. Crazy. The blend of everything. You're right. The size, it's that blend of size, speed, power, explosiveness, that burst, the ability to break tackles. It was all inspiring for me. I mean, dude was a beast. Uh, he I think, well, tell me if I'm wrong. Would you agree that he probably would have won the Heisman Trophy either his sophomore or junior seasons if he had if he had been able to finish out those entire seasons? I think so, especially especially this junior year. He was just killing it. Well, until the whole – yeah, I'm trying to pull up his numbers here junior year. I know he started out with almost a 200-yard game uh, I mean, was, against Clemson. in the t- top of the Heisman. Yeah, I, I think he would have won it if it was game. not for – and that was his fault. The scandal was his fault, but – I honestly believe in 2014 that he would have won it. And I'm pulling up the number. I got the numbers right. I know it was like I think it was 198 yards in that opening game against Clemson in 2014. Uh, and that was when you know Chubb had his first big run too, and I think he got a shoe pulled off. Uh, yeah. So in 2014, here's Todd Gurley's first six games before the suspension against Clemson. 198 yards on 15 carries. Against South Carolina, 131 yards on 20 carries. Against Troy, 73 yards on 6 carries. Against Tennessee, 208 yards on 28 carries. I remember that game, he just destroyed them. Vanderbilt, 163 yards on 25 carries. Then he suspended, comes back for the Auburn game uh, with 138 yards on 29 carries. The dude was going to win the Heisman Trophy that year. And not only that, but you think about Clemson game, he takes a kickoff to the house. Yeah, he did. And then you go back to his freshman season. You mentioned that I, that was his first game. He did that. Uh, I, I mean, he was just—he was a beast, man. But he just outside of his freshman year. I mean, at that point, he probably was—you're not going to win the Heisman as a true freshman, okay? At that point, it was just that wasn't going to happen. Uh, there's a bias against the, the true freshman there. But he had a chance at sophomore junior years. Sophomore year, he gets hurt, which kind of set him back, obviously. And then you have the whole scandal with the uh, with the autographs his junior year and. At the end of the day, we wasted Todd Gurley, probably the best player that we've had in I don't know what twenty years. Would you say? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been there's a bunch of really good players, you know, with the Pollocks and the AJ Greens, and I mean AJ Green is close for me in terms of the most impressive player I've seen. Like AJ was a monster. AJ, I, I felt he was open on every single play. I felt if you threw it to AJ Green, it was going to be a completion. That's that's how good he was. But Gurley, man, he was just unbelievable. But I'll say this too, and this is where I kind of I pause for a second. As good as Gurley was, like watching him, and as impressive of an as an athlete as he was, physically, I think I, I I would say that Nick Chubb is by far the most consistent of those three. Would you disagree with me there? I mean, yeah, it's hard to say after this last year where he wasn't fully healthy, but when he is healthy, right. he is great. Okay, Let's look, you're right. This last year, for me, that's kind of a wash, though. You've got a new coaching staff. You've got a ridiculously terrible offensive line. Yeah, I mean, He's I coming agree. back off an injury. Have people out there who are just going to be like, look at statistics. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But even if you look at the statistics... He has he's exactly equal as of right now. Even with last year a, a subpar year for him, admittedly so, he's exactly equal with Gurley in terms of yards per attempt at six point four yards per attempt. Noshan uh, is about a yard under them at five point five yards per attempt for his career. But if you take last season out of the equation for Nick Chubb, with him not being one hundred percent healthy and with the offensive line issues, his over the course of his first two seasons, he averages seven point six yards a carry. 7.6 yards a carry over his first two seasons. That is unbelievable. And go back to the start against Missouri, his freshman year, his first start against Missouri. From that point on until he gets hurt 
against Tennessee, his first 13 starts as the starter. Obviously, if you're it's your start, it's a starter. But his first 13 starts in in a Georgia uniform were 100 yard games, 13 straight 100 yard games. That's crazy. That is the model of consistency. To, to kind of put that in perspective, over the two seasons that Noshawn had with us as a starter, he had 13 total 100-yard games. Nick had his first, had 1,300-yard games in his first 13 starts. I mean, this, if you go back to that, two, for Nick, if you go back to uh, the 2015 season, i pull the numbers up here. The start to that season almost rivaled what Gurley had in that 2014 season. I pull also, them. think about it, though. Chubb saved Mark Rick's job because when we, we all talk about the rumor, you know, when it came down to that Louisville game, you know, Hudson Mason goes out. Bryce Ramsey couldn't, you know, couldn't do what I mean, a huge he game he had, man. That was an unbelievable game. I'm pulling it up right here. Okay, so Nick Chubb in 2015. Look at the start of this season for Nick Chubb. I mean, he was on pace to possibly be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, 2015, before the injury, Against Louisiana Monroe to open the season, had 120 yards on 16 carries. Against Vanderbilt, 189 yards on 19 carries. Against South Carolina, 159 on 21 carries. Against Southern, 131 on 15 carries. Against Alabama, 146 on 20 carries. And then, boom, you get hurt against Tennessee. The dude has been the model of consistency, at least over the first two years. Now, last year, I know the numbers weren't there. They weren't. But I think there's some extenuating circumstances there. But I, I would say, honestly... That Chubb was probably the most consistent of us. Because as good as Gurley was, you know, he had games that were that were, that he didn't show up. You know, against South Carolina, uh, his freshman year at 39 yards. Against Kentucky, he had 47 yards rushing. Now, again, it's a whole team effort. Okay, absolutely. He's one element there. But he had games like that. Nick didn't have games like that his first two seasons. Now, last year, there were, there were a couple. Um, but I think if you look over the course of his first two seasons... Chubb was he was a he was a beast too, man. But when I'm watching those two, when I'm watching Todd and I'm watching Nick, Todd just stands out to me as the physically more impressive player, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, not to say Nick is a slouch at all, because I mean he's got he's got all sorts of different skill sets too. He he's he's got some. I think deceptive top-end speed, deceptive explosiveness. He runs with great power. I think Nick's greatest attribute is his balance. He's got great vision and great balance. And he has the ability to burst through the holes. He has really underrated footwork and lateral ability. Um, he, has said he also has the ability that Todd had to just break tackles. He doesn't steamroll people like Gurley would do from time to time. But his ability to stay on his feet, stay balanced and that is that is uncanny. So Nick's got plenty of skills himself. I also think with Nick, you got to factor this in too. Does his leadership come in factor in the equation at all for you? Um, it does a little bit. I just look at you know what, on the field. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the field, I got gotcha. you. But I mean, dude, Nick is probably as as good as I think Todd was. Nick is probably my favorite Georgia player of all time. I just love him. I just I, I love who he is, what he stands for, the kind of character he has, what he does on the field. Uh, how it's always team first about him. I love the quiet introvert because that's kind of how I am. I know you guys just hear me on the show, but if you knew me personally, uh, and Kirk can kind of attest to this, I'm a quiet introverted kind of dude. I'm the dude at the party kind of stands in the corner talking to one person. That's just kind of who I am. And so maybe I, I just kind of identify with Nick, but I just I, I love it when your best player is also your best dude. And Nick Chubb is very much that guy. So I love him, but if I got to pick one guy. I think Gurley, man, he's just the best I've seen with my own two eyes at this relatively young stage in my life. So tough, but I'm going to go with Todd. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one here. 
what is the biggest concern for in your mind heading into the 2017 season for our football team? Is it quarterback play, the wide receiver position, and, and having playmakers emerge, or offensive line play? Easily offensive line play. Um, you know, we talk about the receivers. I think we have guys that are going to emerge, so it's not as much scared on that. Our quarterback play, you know, I think Easton's going to improving. Um, but you got to think about it. The, the quarterback play and the wide receiver play all depends on the offensive line play. We saw in G Day when Easton had you know a couple seconds to throw, or you know more. Than, he had about three to four seconds. He was complete strikes. You know, get step, able to step into it, throw the ball to rope. He, he still did. was about forty five percent completion percentage. What? Hey, but he was still at about forty five percent completion percentage. No, I'm saying if you saw it in G Day though, the times where he had a, he wasn't you know he had a few seconds extra to throw, he was getting the completions. Yeah. But this, and that's and that's what I'm saying. It all depends on the offensive line play. That's why I have to go with the offensive line play. I think quarterback play and everything is going to depend on how they how they play. Yeah, here's how what, I, I agree with you, and here's what it comes down to for me. I think we can get away with pretty good quarterback play or okay quarterback play this season. I don't think we can get away with okay offensive line play or pretty good offensive line play. We had last year. No, we can't, and it needs to be. We need, and I don't even think we can get away with just slightly better than what we had last year. I think we need a pretty significant jump if we want to be a true contender for championships. And I don't know if we're there yet. We'll have to see, man. That like it's hard for me to project that out because we don't know how the line's going to shake out. We have you know some ideas in certain spots. You know, like Gailier probably has a center spot locked up. Uh, you would think that Win Win has a spot locked up, whether it's left tackle or left guard. He's probably got one of those spots locked up. But outside of that, man, I don't think you can sit here and say comfortably that we know what that line's going to look like. Do you? Um, I, I, you know, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that I think Sims is going to have left bench locked up. <laughs> uh, that's pretty fair, man. I, well, I, I'm. I don't want to say I, I hate to say this. I don't want to dog on our guys, man, but. I kind of, in a way, hope that's the case because I. Like well, he, yeah, because I just think it's scary. It's not going to be good for us if he has to be a starter for us, especially when he, you know, this is his fifth year. I yeah. believe he'll be a fifth-year senior. Yeah, and he's absolutely getting destroyed by the second group. You know, I mean, he was getting destroyed no matter who it was. Yeah, it was rough, man, and it, it's been that, and it, it's been that way his, his entire career. I mean, he's had, I guess you could say, a flash of light here and there. My but, very first memories of him are that Florida game where he was five yards. Oh back. God, dude, that was that was abysmal. <laughs> That was abysmal. But, yeah, I, I think you're right because we, we have to have good offensive line play. We have to have good offensive line play to be the team that we want to be for us to improve our running game. for our Because we always talk about how we have this great stable of running backs, which we do. But for those running backs to matter, we have to have the line do their part, which they didn't do last year. So if we don't get better offensive line play, we're not going to be able to run the football. If we can't run the football, then we can't do anything off play action. If we can't do anything off play action, then we're going to be in obvious passing situations where the defense just pin their ears back and attack our quarterback, which is what we saw at G-Day, right? We're in those situations where there's obvious passing downs, and how did that work out for us? Not very well. Not very well. Easton will be fine if he has time to throw the ball and if you can keep the defense off balance by with the running game, getting him in, in manageable situations, third and short, third and medium situations where he's not consistently in these third and long situations where they can pin their ears back and just come after him. Because we saw our line cannot hold up against that as it's currently constituted. Maybe we'll see some some new guys inserted in there over the, over the course of the summer. Maybe the guys that were in there over the spring will, will improve. I don't know. But the offensive line has to be better because we have to be able to run the football better for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, to, to move the football, but also to improve our passing game and, get, and take a little bit of pressure off Easton. I think Easton will be a lot better if our running game is better. 
So to me, the offensive line play is what we have to improve more than anything. Yes, quarterback play has to improve. And yes, we have to have options emerge out wide wide receiver. But I think we're you're right in saying that we're close. I, I feel pretty conf, confident with some of the options that we have wide receiver, even, even though they haven't necessarily proven it like we want to see on the field yet. Godwin's had his moments. But I, I feel confident in what we have there and uh, the playmaking potential. The offensive line play, I got to see it, man. And that's where we need to improve the most. Uh, this next one, I think, this is an interesting question because I, I honestly don't know where to go on this one. I think they're both going to be tough. But what's the bigger trap game on our 2017 schedule? Is it Mississippi State at home before we head to Tennessee the week before, or is it South Carolina on the road in between a trip to Jacksonville and a trip to Auburn? You mean South Carolina? Uh, at yeah, home. South Carolina at home in between a trip to Jacksonville against Florida and then a trip to Auburn after that. I think South Carolina. Why? Just the fact that it's two big road games before and after. And the fact is that South Carolina is going to be an improved team this year. And, you know, it's one of those where we're coming off the, the Florida game. Um, you don't know how that's going to go. And then at the same time, you, try, you have Auburn in the back of your mind knowing that's the end of your SEC schedule. You consider Florida a road game? I mean, we're not at home. We're not. I either is Florida. I mean, I guess they're technically closer to home. I mean, it's a road game for them if you really want to get down to a neutral site. Means not home. Yeah, a not home game. We'll go with that. Uh, who do you think? Do you think South Carolina is going to be a better football team than Mississippi State? It just means more to them. Very true. This is outside of Clemson. We are their biggest rival. It's the biggest game on the schedule for them, bar none. Exactly. Outside, outside of Clemson. Up with. Uh, Fitzgerald, I'm not saying that away. I just think it means more to South Carolina. Ah, oh, man, this Especially is a tough one for me. players from this state and things like that. Yeah, that's true. A lot of them are, yeah. Especially with yeah, Muschamp. Yeah, back there. on the staff there now. Yeah, I, uh, I don't, man, I don't know where to go on this one. I think, Miss, I don't think Mississippi State's getting any love right now. I think people are just ignoring that game in the Georgia fan base and just talking that up as an automatic win, and that scares me because I don't think that's the case. I think... We're better than them, and we have more talent than them, but that is a scary game if we don't take it seriously. And I I know that the fans are just the fans, and fans do what fans do, and the team, you know, I, they're a separate entity from the fan base. But I always have this thing, when the fa- it just, it's weird how it works out to me. When the fans underestimate a team and don't take a team seriously, it's kind of weird how that's kind of mirrored in the team. Have you ever noticed that? Um, I mean, too, I Because like, I, I, I think the team... They, they, they hear this. They hear the talk about what's going on, and they understand when fans aren't really jump, uh, hyped about a game and aren't taking the team seriously. But Mississippi State, if we don't take them seriously at this season, dude, they can jump up and beat us, dude. Like Nick Fitzgerald is the real deal quarterback. I think he's a burgeoning superstar in the SEC. He's exactly what Dan Mullen wants for that offense. Now, defensively, they've got holes, but so does South Carolina. And outside of Fitzgerald, you know they, they lose Fred Ross, their best receiver, um, so Mississippi State, they're not a, a great team, but they're good enough and dangerous enough to beat us if we don't take them seriously and if we're looking ahead to Tennessee. But I think I'm going to go with you. Uh, it's a tough one for me. I think I'm also going to agree with you to say South Carolina is the, the, the uh, bigger trap game because of where it falls in between Florida and Auburn. And if Auburn is as good as a lot of people think they are going to be this year, if they're a top-10 team late in the season in November, and let's say we beat Florida, right? I don't I hope that happens. I don't know. Can't, of course, we can't take that for granted. But let's say we beat Florida, and then we've got a matchup a couple weeks later against a top team, Auburn team, on the road. That's that's a scary proposition, having to play South Carolina. Even though it's at home, that, I'm nervous about that. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm nervous. I, they're good enough to beat us. They're not as good as us. They don't have as much talent as we do across the board. Defensively, they're going to be – well, they get Sky Moore back. But outside of that, and Bryce I. Williams is okay, they're going to be a, a disaster defensively again. They don't have much talent there. They just don't outside of those two guys. Offensively, though, they have some They have some weapons. They have some dudes that can get some stuff done. Uh, so if we're not – again, if we're not playing – and by, the end, by that point of the season, maybe they will be better defensively. Who knows? So I think that's that's the one that's probably – a little bit more dangerous of a trap game for us. Although I think both we definitely need to take seriously. Uh, all right, next one here. Uh, who is more likely to start? Or I'll take that back. Which true freshman is more likely to start game one? D'Angelo Gibbs or Isaiah Wilson? Uh, D'Angelo Gibbs to me. Why Gibbs? Uh, it's the fact that he was early enrollee. Um, while Wilson is at a position to meet. Um, you know, I think they're going to give people like Sims and all those other guys looks ahead of him while, you know, Gibbs is already number two on there and he's got, he's getting that extra experience learning the calls. I think he's just set up better to start right away more than Wilson is. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, dude, I, I don't like agreeing with you this much, but I have to agree with you again here, man, because you're right. And a couple reasons here, and you mentioned a couple of them. Uh, it's just honestly, it's easier to start as a true freshman at star. It's less physically demanding, you know. As you have to be, and not to say Isaiah Wilson's not physically ready. By all accounts, the dude's going to just maul people, and he's huge. Obviously, if you've seen him or heard anything about him, but it's still a more physically demanding position to hold up in the trenches in the SEC against grown men. Whereas star, yeah, it's a physical position. It's football. But it's not as physical. I think it's easier to start there. Um, and also, there's fewer bodies to compete against. I mean, th- we have a, a, g- a general lack of depth at the DP position right now, at least where we are right now. We have some bodies coming in um, this summer. But right now, there's just fewer bodies for him to compete against. So, I mean, his competition right now is basically Tyreek McGee, right? So he's got to beat out yeah. Tyreek McGee. And if he, and if he can, and if he, gets on the system, I mean, if he gets the system down, then that's, that's all he's got to beat out as of right now. And we'll see how things shake out when new guys come to campus. Whereas with Wilson, even though you think he's going to be playing left bench, still got Dyshawn Sims, who's going to be a factor there because he's been there for a while and coaches, I guess, somewhat trust him. You know, Ben Cleveland's been in the system for a year and a half now, and he's playing right tackle. So that's another body you're going to have to compete with. Alden Bynum, although he's better than, than Bynum, still another body to compete with. Uh, and as you mentioned, Gibbs has been on campus already. He's already got reps. He's already been working with the coaches. He's already been kind of getting acclimated to how we run things, how we do practice, how the off-season workout system works, whereas Wilson is going to be totally new to him. He's going to have just one summer to kind of figure that out. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Gibbs also. All right, next one, number five here. Who is the more important five-star target for us in the 2018 class? Is it Zamir White, the running back, uh, offensive guard Jamari Salyer, or cornerback slash possibly safety, but he wants to be cornerback, Tyreek Johnson out of Florida. Oh, I'm going to go with Zamir White. I think it's the fact that you're going to be losing two running backs this year. Okay, we're losing two. Okay, yeah, we're losing two stud running backs. One elite running back and one close to elite running back in Sonny Michel. And maybe borderline elite. Um, that's true. But then we got we brought in DeAndre Swift. Right, we're bringing him in, and everyone hopes that he's going to be a great running back. We've got Harrion on campus already, who showed some signs last year. And I'm still I know he hasn't shown much on the field yet, but I'm still really high on Elijah Holyfield. Marijuana arrest arrest notwithstanding. Um, and yeah, we need to have bodies back there. But even let's say we don't land Zamir White, 
coming into 2018 without Nick and Sony, don't you still feel pretty good about our running back situation? I mean, yeah, but it's the fact you have to think of all the guys we got in this last class at the guard position or people that could play that, which doesn't make it as big of a need for Salier. Um, while the other guy, the DB slash just DB in general would be big, um, I just think that the feature running back is always hard to pass up. But aren't feature running backs uh, – okay, great running backs don't come along every day, but wouldn't you say that it's well, easy – We about this, though. We pretty much took the scholarship away from Carter for yeah. people like Demir White. Yeah, yeah, but there's also guys that aren't maybe quite at White's level but are not far off. Like a guy like Master Teague, I think is criminally underrated. He might be committing here in the next week or couple weeks. He's a really good football player. He's not White, but he's – he, he could still do really good things for us. And he's a guy that's really, from what it sounds like, it's down to us in Auburn. Uh, man, this is a tough one for me. I think Zamir White's going to be a stud. I mean, that's I have very little doubt there. But here is what it is for, what it comes down to for me. I just think elite offensive linemen are harder to come by than a really good running back like Zamir White. Do you disagree with me on that? Uh, I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, you, like, think think about how running backs have been devalued in the NFL draft. Why have running backs? I mean, I know we had a couple go in the first round this year, but in general, they've been relatively devalued. Why is that? Because well, a lot of it's too is the life. Well, that's true. The shelf life is part of it, but I also think you can get a quality back. And, and the running game has been devalued in the NFL. That's true. That's part of it. So it's part of that. It's part of their shelf life is has dwindled recently. Uh, but I also think a part of it is. There's not that uh, that much of a difference between a first-round running back and a guy that you can pick up in the fourth round. Now, the guy in the first round is probably more explosive, probably faster, probably a better college career. But that fourth-round guy is proven to be able to come in and, and compete and really contribute significantly to teams in the, in the NFL. So I, I think the gap between really elite offensive linemen and pretty good offensive linemen is bigger than the gap between elite running backs and pretty good running backs. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that's harder to find those elite offensive linemen. And we talked about how having the offensive line, fixing that situation is the number one priority for this football team. That's the number one area that we've got to improve. I'll give you this, though. I do agree with you that we're going to have more of a need from a depth perspective for running backs in 2018 than we will for offensive guards. Is that kind of what you were getting at? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. We're probably, we are going to have three running backs on scholarship, depending on who we signed in 2018. Whereas we stocked up on the offensive line and that offensive guard in particular with guys like Notori Johnson and Justin Schaefer uh, last season. But I mean, we got to build that depth in the offensive line. It's really hard. If you have a guy that's in state that's that good as Jamari Salyer where he's a five-star top ten type prospect, oh, man, it's tough to lose a guy like that. So I'm going to slightly disagree with you here and say Salyer's more important. Um but I will say, individual recruits do not exist in a vacuum. And there are actually two in-state interior linemen that are ranked inside the National Composite Top 50 prospects in both Jamari Salyer and Trey Hill from Houston County, Jake Fromm's former teammate. So if we do end up landing Trey Hill, a guy that by most accounts we do currently lead for, then it reduces the urgency of us signing Jamari Salyer. And in that case... I would agree with you, and I would say White would be the more important prospect because we don't really have another target at running back of his caliber in the class outside of maybe Master Teague. And look, he's still not on White's level. I don't think he's too far up, but he's not Zamir White. But we don't have another running back of White's caliber in this class who's 
commitment could potentially offset the loss of White like we do have potentially with Trey Hill and Jamari Salyer. But look, nothing is a sure thing in recruiting, so until Trey Hill is on our commitment list, I'm going to stick with Salyer as a slightly more important piece to the 2018 recruiting puzzle. All right, next question. Let's move on from that one. Number six. In 2017, are we more likely to win the SEC, as in the entire SEC, win the conference, or finish with a losing record? Um, Probably win the SEC. Why do you say that? Uh, I just think the way it sets up, I think if we had a losing record, it'd be just an absolutely abysmal season, and I, I don't think we're going to be that bad. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I don't and think especially with the with the talent in the East is down compared to the last couple of years. That there's no reason we should not have a winning record. I do agree with you again there. Uh, for me, like neither option is likely. Would you say? Would you agree with that? Like I don't think either option is likely at yeah, this I point. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to knock off Bama. Yeah, I mean, I think we. I definitely think we can win the SEC East, but winning the conference title this season, while it could happen, I'm not gonna sit here and say that's likely. It's not likely. Um, but I also think it's likely that we're going to finish with a losing record because I think this team's floor is like its absolute floor is about seven-ish wins. If you look at the at the schedule, I'd say about seven wins is the floor. I mean, think about what we were working with last year with a true freshman quarterback, an abysmal offensive line, an entirely new coaching staff, Nick Chubb coming back from an injury. Even with all of those circumstances, we still won seven games in the regular season, and that was after losing two games to Vanderbilt and Tech. That we, did, that we only lost because we did everything we possibly could to blow them. We had no business losing those games. So even in a season like that, we still won seven games in the regular season. So to think that we're going to be worse than last year, I don't buy that. Do you at all? I don't. There's no way. I mean, we still have to, of course, prove on the field. But in my opinion, we're going to improve on basically all of our deficiencies from 2017. Now, how much we improve on those deficiencies remains to be seen. But we're going to bring back a potentially elite defense if they play up to their abilities. We have a manageable schedule that might be sneaky tough in certain spots, but it's certainly manageable. Uh, so we have some better options out wide. Quarterback plays should be improved, at least with another year of experience. You have a, a new guy coming and pushing him to get better. Uh, Nick's another year removed from his injury. Offensive line looks to be at least somewhat improved, although that still remains to be seen. So I just I don't see where we're going to take a step back. And the schedule didn't get infinitely more difficult. We didn't add Bama. We didn't add LSU to the schedule. So I, I really think that seven wins is probably the floor. Where we were at last year is probably the floor. So I, I don't think we're going to finish with a losing record. I don't think we're, we're going to win the SEC necessarily this year, but I think that's more likely than finishing with a losing record. Just not. I just don't think a losing record is going to happen this year. Better not at all. All right, and last one here, number seven. Who is more likely to declare early for the NFL draft after the 2017 season, Trent Thompson or Roquan Smith? I think I'm going to have to go with Roquan. I think the biggest reason is that I think Trent's got a little bit of a haze around him right now. But let's say Trent gets his – I mean, it sounds like he, he has gotten his act together. He's going to be enrolling in summer classes probably in first session. He's not in class right now in May, but he'll, from what Kirby says, sounds like he will be in first session or through session, whatever. Uh, if he get, And if he can go through the entire season without any issues – and you can kind of point back to what happened with Trent and say it was a medical issue more so than anything, right? Because there was no drugs – Involved. I mean, that we know of, but those people in the NFL, the, those people they have working for them, those private eyes and yeah. stuff, they'll find anything out. That's true, man. If you got anything in your background, any skeleton, they're going to find it out. So you might as well just come out and admit it. That's true. Um, 
Yeah, and Rogue I One doesn't. I just think that you gotta think, even if it's a medical issue, teams gonna be like, well, what if he, ha- you know, you what get if that happens again? The, you get injured in the pros. This stuff can't happen. I mean, just like that incident where that Patriots guy a couple years ago drove to the jail because he smoked that synthetic marijuana and stuff. I mean, there's yeah. like all those things. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a risk that you don't want to take unless the player warns it. Maybe Trent will warn. Maybe does. Maybe he won't. Well, first off, Trent has to have a big year to be in a situ- in a position to, to declare early, right? Yeah. Because based on what he's done his first two years as in totality, it's not good enough right now. He hasn't shown now. He was a mega recruit, and he's shown flashes of that. I mean, he was dominant. I mean, flat-out dominant in the bowl game against TCU. What do you have? Three sacks, four tackles for loss, something like that? I mean, insane stuff. That's that's the Trent we expected. Actually, that exceeded what I ever expected from Trent. But he's shown what he can do now. He has to go out and apply that this season and do it more consistently. And if he does that, then absolutely he'll be in a position to declare early for the NFL draft. Um, I think Roquan will too. You know, I've come around on Roquan. I wasn't sure if he would be a fit in the NFL with the size issues, but he's gotten big enough. And if you look at the NFL, I'm not a huge um, NFL dude, but from what I see and what I watch, I mean, I, I do watch it. I just it's just not my thing. I'm a, I'm a college guy through and through. They've moved more to that style of linebacker because the NFL is a passing league now, first and foremost. And you want you want three down linebackers who can play in space, and Roquan is that. He is that. Uh, so I, I think he absolutely is the kind of guy that NFL teams would be uh, be strongly looking at. So I, I think honestly, I think both of them, will, if if they both have good years, if Roquan builds off what he did last year, I think he had a really good season last year. I think he'd potentially be All SEC first team this year if he keeps building on that. Um, and Trent, if he keeps building, I also think he'll be ready. But more likely to clear for the NFL draft, I th- ah man, I think Trent's probably gonna get a higher draft grade based on his potential. But I think Roquan's shown more consistency to this point. And Trent, while I think his upside's probably higher than Roquan's, he hasn't shown that consistent that consistency yet. I gotta see that from him. Roquan has shown me that at least for one full season. So I guess right now I would go Roquan Smith, although I think. Trent probably, like I said, has the higher upside there. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us here today. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, this segment, the Take Your Pick. If you got, we, we definitely always want to produce stuff that you guys enjoy, that you want to listen to. So if you enjoyed it, let us know uh, on Twitter, at Glory underscore UJ. Email us, Glory UJ podcast at gmail.com. Just let us know what you think. If you didn't like it, let us know too. Um, so we, we don't want to waste your time on stuff that you don't want to listen to. So just let us know what you think about that. And, any, and really, anything else that you guys, any kind of other features you guys would like to see us produce during the uh, summer months here, the dog days of summer, just let us know. Hit us up, and we'll do our best to kind of work it in here. So for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Uh, we always appreciate you guys listening. Make sure, if you're in the Athens area, check out the NCAA Tennis Tournament this weekend. The guys are playing tomorrow at 4. Uh, if they win, just they'll be... Don't take painkillers. Dude, don't even bring that up. It's not the players, dude. Okay, just I don't want to get into it right now. I don't wait from. I want to wait for the the legal aspect of this to run its course. But let's just. I want to applaud Manny Diaz for being the whistleblower here and not trying to cover that up. I just I do want to say that Manny did the right thing, guys. I know a lot of us. It's it's just one more thing in the in the, in the long list of Georgia falling on our sword. You know, people going back to the Todd Gurley thing where. Like we didn't fight the NCAA, and we just kind of fell our own sword, kind of turned ourselves in. But do you want a situation like in Baylor where you're covering it up, or a situation like Penn State? And I know our, you know, the prescription drug thing is not as bad as, you know, rape and child molestation and things like that and, and domestic violence. But 
you don't want a situation where inside the program you're trying to cover it up. So I want to applaud Manny for doing the right thing. Uh, and it's a tough thing to do. I mean, Bo and Drake are guys that played for him and, and coach with him, or at least Bo does. Drake coaches for the women. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a tough situation. But still, the, the team deserves our support. So come on out if you're in the Athens area Thursday, Friday, and hopefully Saturday and Sunday as well if we uh, win those uh, Sweet 16 matches on Thursday and Friday. But uh, thanks again, guys, for listening. As always, go dogs.